This is Shannon and Rob from the No Ideas Original Podcast. Hey, how are you? I'm good, man. Thank you. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to talk to us today. No worry. No worry. Look, is, is this good for you? Yeah, yeah. This works. This works. Look, man, I want to I wanna say, um, you know, I want to give you your props and kudos in, in advance, you know? Like, we have, I think, like an issue within our, our culture and the hip-hop culture. Um, maybe because the hip-hop culture is still fairly young compared to, like, other genres that, you know, we... We, we sometimes forget about the people who have paved the way for us. And I feel like me and Rob probably wouldn't be sitting here conducting this interview had it wouldn't been for seeing you, um, Ed Lovell, Ralph McDaniels, a couple of other brothers actually on the screen um, doing this thing. So I want to say thank you. Appreciate you, man. Thank you for the blessing. Thank and you all the love. I appreciate it. Man, and, and this is Mr. Rob. And also how... How y'all were able to uh, give us hope? The way y'all gave us hip hop culture, man. Y'all was, y'all was the news. Y'all was CNN. Y'all was C-SPAN. Y'all was the comedy club. Y'all, was, y'all was everything, man. You made it very comfortable. It made it look very easy talking to people that we can only hear over the radio. So, thank you. I give, I give you your flowers. Thank you for that blessing again. Thank you for the love. Now, now look, we, we're both dudes that we grew up in the Bronx, and um, for people that grew up in the five boroughs, you know, it was viewed as like, like Long Island was the suburbs until hip hop, you know, hip hop really opened our eyes with the Rock Kims, the EPMDs, and Public Enemies um, of the world. But I'm just wondering from your perspective, what was it like growing up in Long Island in the 70s and 80s? Like growing up in the Bronx, Brooklyn, Queens, etc., in Staten Island. Same thing, most of us had family in all the bars, so we were always traveling in and out. Okay. Right, it was right, not, right. it was not, the difference was we didn't have a subway. We had the Long Island Railroad. Right. <laughs> and we used to take the railroad, the buses, to the subway and get all around where we need to be. Whether it be uptown, downtown, east side, west side, you name it. And I mean, the fallacy of all of that which really bugs me out because I have, I have family in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. My aunt lives on Shepherd Boulevard. Okay. I have family in Shepherd. South Bronx. Wow. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I have family in Brooklyn. I have family in Queens, St. Albans, Queens, Jamaica, Queens. I have, I have family uh, in Manhattan, uptown. Uh, yeah, you're a true New York. Yeah, so it's like I never understood. Well, what's the big difference? <laughs> My godfather worked at a liquor store every day right. in Harlem. I used to hang out with him there. Like, what's the big difference? What's the big deal, right? What's the, what, what's the big deal? And when my cousins would come out to Long Island, to Newcastle, and to Westbury, where I was born and raised, and we went down the street to the park, so I put a park down the park? Yeah, what's the big difference? You know I said, your park is down the elevator. Mind you, walk down the block. We got a pool. We got basketball courts. Right. We had a, a skating rink. We had a handball court. Yeah. Yeah, okay, it may have looked like we were living in a lap of luxury, but the Long Island Railroad ran, ran right past the park, so that was our subway. <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that, man, because traveling back and forth, I remember going to Queens to the one park right off of Farmers Boulevard, and I actually witnessed an LL Cool J versus Mikey D battle, like in 84. Okay. And I was traveling all the way from the Gun Hill Road part of the Bronx, bro. So you're right. There's nothing wrong with traveling 
if you can get there, you can get there. My father and my mother were born and raised in the city. Um, and my father took me to Coney Island in Brooklyn. And we jumped on a subway. And he rode me all through all the subways to teach me how to ride in the subway. That's right. That's right. All the way from the E train, the F train, the D, the A, one, two, all of them. And then he dropped me off. He dropped me back off in Queens. And he said, find your way back to Brooklyn. Here's right. the Dolphins, bye. <laughs> I said, where, where are you going? He said, figure it out. Right. And I did. Yeah. So, you know, some of those lessons you learn and we understand is that all of us are really more alike than, un, un, than not alike. Right, that's a fact. And look, I've been mugged and robbed in Harlem. I had a fight in Brooklyn and I had to, I had to hightail it out of the Bronx when I snuck up there. My aunt caught me, so yeah, I had to kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I lived in the suburbs. Yeah, I hung out. We played in that park. No, we didn't have constant sirens around us all the time, but sometimes we did. Right, that's right, that's right. Yeah. I lived in Newcastle, Westbury. Westbury was the community. Newcastle was the hamlet. So if you understand what I'm saying, brothers, Spanish folks, everyone else lived in Newcastle. And the white folks lived in Westbury. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, I mean, that's where I, where I grew up. It's yeah. changed, but we all got along. We all, we all found a way. And we yeah, had issues, and we solved those issues. Fact. So what, what, what led you to being a DJ, Mr. Drake? What led me to be a DJ? Yes, sir. Like everybody else. Women. <laughs> I was a I was a bad musician in my high school, junior high, elementary school. I played trumpet. I played from first trumpet to last last trumpet. And last trumpet to worst trumpet. I was pretty I was pretty bad. But I was cool. I like trumpet because it made you look cool. So I went to a block party and my cousin in his house, he had all these turntables hooked up. And they would be playing James Brown, Palmer Funkadelic, Jackson 5, Marvin Gaye, you name it. Right. The, the Supremes, um, Gladys Knight. I mean, I'm saying circus for a minute. And I was fascinated with it, but I went to this block party around this way. And there was a band playing on the stage, and there was this DJ dude. And when the band would stop, DJ would play. And I watched all the girls run up to the DJ. He did cool. And he would play music. And I was like, I gotta do that. That looks cool. <laughs> and he was always, you know, as a DJ, you could tell that afternoon to play a record and he'd shake it off and he had a little attitude. Then he would play it and the girls would go crazy. I said, gotta do that. Gotta do if that. If I play the record, <laughs> girls come talk to you. So that's how I got to buy. A lot of people realize how college radio helped with the advancement um, of hip hop. You know, can you talk a little bit about your experience um, being in college radio and what it meant to you? Oh, simple. Well, first, my brother, I went to his school at AIC in uh, Massachusetts, and I watched him DJ on his college radio station. And I said, wow, he's got the voice. He's real cool. You know, I, I mean, wow, that, that looks that looks something I want to do. 
And you know, we grew up with Frank Crocker in, in, in New York and Chuck Leonard and I uh, can't remember all the greats in the morning on WBLS and other radio stations around us, you know, uh, that we grew up with. And I'm not just talking about Howard Stern on right. NBC. We don't know with that too. But at college, I happened to go to the college where I found BAU because I was dating this young lady and I had a scholarship to go to Cornell University, Syracuse University, and I was supposed to actually go out west, but I felt for the big rock and smile, and I said, well, yeah, we, we, we can do this. <laughs> and I went to school with um, Mr. Bill Stephanie, uh, Colin McGregor, a.k.a. Harry Allen, and Mr. One Carlton Rodinella, a.k.a. Chuck D, right. a.k.a. Chuck D, and the late, great Dr. Andre Stroberts, like music class. And then that's when I was asked, hey man, you know about BAU? And I had heard of the station, but I didn't know it was great. I didn't know it was at the college. So we went over to the UC, they walked me upstairs, and my eyes were open. Like, whoa. I got invited to the Mr. Bill's show on Monday night with the night nurse, the late, great Rusty J was on Sunday night, and the one and only super special list out in one half on Saturday night. With the one and only Chucky e. D, Rich Cassidy, Mr. KG, aka Keith Shockley, President Shockley, wow. and the amenable MCDJ Flavor, aka Flavor Flavor. <laughs> and we got introduced as my DJ group the concept with T Money, Easy G Rockwell, and we started working up at BAU. So BAU, I call the greatest hip hop incubator mm. in New York history from a long out of perspective because right. we have to fight to get respect in Queens, Brooklyn, Brooklyn yeah. the Bronx. Yeah. The Bronx picked us up sometimes when I've driven to the Bronx and picked up Chuck Chill Out and brought him back to BAU. I picked up Red Alert, Cool DJ Red Alert, brought him to BAU, Africa Bad Bada, brought him to BAU, Run DMC, BAU, Nice. The Beastie Boys, BAU, nice. LL Cool J, BAU, Mikey T, BAU, BAU, Herbie Lover, B, I mean the list mm-hmm. goes on and on and on. And we had a, had a stable of young artists from Long Island, Hempstead, Freeport, Roosevelt, Newcastle, Westbury, and all over that contributed tapes and songs to our, to this thing we call WBAU. Right, right. Now during during that during that time when you were you at that time able to interview any of those any of those artists? Interviewed everybody. Everybody that came up there, Dave DMX and company came to BAU because they heard BAU. And we were we were uh, credited with giving Alan Cool J his first radio interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I brought the Beastie Boys out, which eventually I went to DJ with them for a period of time, mm-hmm. they were like, I can't believe, yo, y'all do this every week? Yeah, that's what we do. And then we would DJ during the week, DJ on the weekends, and do our shows late at night. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, everybody, even KRS-One and the late, great Scott Rock were on my show at WBAU. Mm-hmm. Right. How, how'd you end up becoming a DJ for the Beastie Boys? Well, um, 
after meeting Rick Rubin for a while, was playing on a lot of PSU artists back and forth, uh, he wanted to sign my group the concept to Def Jam, which is what he did, because we did a promo for BAE called Can You Feel It and Knowledge Me, our first single. Right. And he said, as the deal went down with uh, CBS slash Sony, he said, could you fill in for me and DJ for the Beasties? Then I did. We, we developed a cool relationship. Two years later, on the Raising Out Joe with the Beasties, and the original concept slash the concept actually wrote the song Property Black on the Raising Out Live. Yes, we did. Yes, you did. You most certainly did. And then in doing that, we used to have tape battles on buses and bands, and I would play them BAU artists. And they heard this artist called uh, Spectrum City slash Chucky D and MCDJ Flavor doing Public Enemy Number One, which also was a promo for WBAU. And I played for them, and they went crazy. Told Rick about it. Played it for him and Russell at Rick's dorm at NYU. Russell woke up. Walked over to the tip, threw it out the window, and said to me, That'll never work, it's number a bunch of noise. Mm. Who knew? Who knew, right? Who knew? And look what it turned out. I got mad at him for that. <laughs> but yeah. Look what it turned out. That's how those things happen. That's how those things happen, man. Man, you're, you're like a hip hop almanac, amazed, man, the way things develop. And what a magnificent position to be in, being around all that early talent. I'm telling you, the way. Even with the inception of Yo! and TV Rap, y'all guys were just necessary for, for creating so many futures for individuals who are now execs and superstars and legends and MCs. Did that, at that time, did you did you know, I'm talking about from Yo! and TV Rap, that you were merging TV with radio? That, you know, only time <clears throat> I, I think that was done was probably what? Soul Train? Yes and no. The thing is, having worked at WBU and Adelphi, we always had a vision of it. We even did a video show before there was a Yo! TV Raps. Okay. We were big fans of Ralph McDaniels, the big kid of Video Music Box. Right. But you have to use that little antenna and shake it. And I had capable, and Team Money didn't. So we run back and forth to watch MTV on my house. And then go to this house to watch Video Music Box. Right. So uh, we, we did understand that existed. But when we got to MTV and had the opportunity, I was actually in the pilot with Run DMC and the late great Jam Master Jay at the Nassau Coliseum. I was introducing Public Enemy with a Def Jam jacket on in the middle of the summer, sweating my bazoongas off. But it was probably foretold in the, in the uh, future that I would get an opportunity to work with that other and do the Daily Show, thanks to Peter Darty. Late Great Peter Darby and the Late Great Ted Demi, who Peter called me in because I knew him from when I was DJ with the Beast. Mm. Yeah, you were setting you were setting them off ahead of yourself along. Yeah. And the thing is, I, I, I used to go to uh watch Africa Islam DJ with Africa Bambada at the Rose Skate Rent in um in the city. And I saw Treacherous Three. I've seen Dougie Fresh perform before the record, before yeah. the fitness. We, we actually, at BA, again, back to BAU real quick, we actually had New Edition perform with us at Roseland, Rose King Ring on Long Island. And Chuck always reminds me, you were DJing for LL Cool J, and he was freestyling 
but you come back and forth. And unfortunately, you just didn't have a videotape of it. Mm. But that happened. So from the from the time DJ, you... I DJ for the Fat Boys in in um oh not Rockford Center in Long Beach right. when they came out perform because right. they're tape pop. So I got behind the wheels for them. The DJ for the Beastie, I mean for the Fat Boys. Yeah, so I, I've been uh, yeah, around doing right. things for quite some time. You've been spinning the block. You've been spinning the block for a long time, big fella. You've been spinning the block, man. Uh, yeah, you can say that. I haven't spent time, I guess, around the, um, the Beastie Boys at a, you know, at an early period of time in hip hop. What's, what's your opinion on their contribution to hip hop? Like, where do you see them in this grand scheme of hip hop? I can equate them to any group that got together and decided to participate in a thing we call rap music, participate in hip hop culture, because they didn't try to imitate. They tried to be themselves. That's why their songs sound the way they do. They didn't say, okay, we're going to imitate. When DMC wrote Slow and Low for them, put their big hits on, hold them out, hit it, she's on it. Um, uh, I can't think of the name of the song. I'm so nutty. Um, the New Style. Um, the New Style. I can't think of the name of the song. Oh my God, we do a verse. Be, yeah, I mean, they, they contributed in their own way. They didn't go out of their way trying to prove that, you know, they was keeping it real, they was down. They said, this is what we do. We love rap music. Yeah. We listen to it. But we also like punk music. We also like rock and roll. We also like jazz. We also like this. So we got to combine different ideas together where Mike E's on my album, Straight From The Basement of Cooley on the song called got a mustache. I listened to yeah. Aqua Action with the BCs on there because I heard that. Yeah, and um, T Money and I on Girls on the uh, Beastie Boy License Still Live. So we were always collaborating together, right. doing different things. Mm. And I talk about that in one of the books I'm writing about these time periods. It's funny because I was just listening uh, straight from the basement of Cooley High, and I was listening to Charlie Says. And it automatically, automatically made me think of Jack of Spade. I was like, hold on. <laughs> well, I got to give contribution to the late, great Jack Boss, who was also on Dre from the Basement of Cooley Eye, who actually gave me the records. I said, Dre, check this out. And Rapper G went crazy. Yeah. So he was like, yo, we got to do something on this. Yeah. We got to do something on this. And Easy G and I just cut it up. And the rest was history. It was the last song we recorded for the album. Um, and the interesting thing is, when we went on tour, which is really funny, um, Boogie Down Productions, KRS-One, opened for us in England, along with Queen Latifah. How about that? And, and the first night that Chris, Chris and the gang opened for us, they tore us apart. And we went into a huddle, and we said, don't you ever let that happen again. They just destroyed us. Yeah. Destroyed. We came out the next night, and I guess they were real confident. And they did real good. But we did better. We went off. Because we were a little smug, a little not knowing, but it just smacked us the reality to us. 
Yeah. Pump that bass and mileage me, even if people don't know the tracks by name, they should know it because it's been sampled several times. Uh, yeah. You guys were signed with Def Jam before it was what Def Jam is now. What was it like back then? What did, what did Def Jam look and feel like back then? It felt like a label in a, in a college dorm with Rick Rubin <laughs> and Russell. Uh, when we did, now, I guess Acknowledge Me is a uh, promo from BAU talking about what happened up there and hanging out around the town. And Can You Feel It was something I did in my studio and everybody just loved it. When I did Pump That Face, I actually wrote that on the tour bus um, for the Beasties. I, I programmed the whole thing, I wrote out the song, and I actually just did it. And every time I would fly back, I would do different parts. And when I finished it, I went to the studio to Chung King in downtown um, New York. And Steve and I took 36 hours to mix Pump That Face. And people like Michael Saxon, late great Michael Saxon, played guitar. Randy London played drums on it. And Easy G and I did the scratch. I did the vocal. Easy G did the get a little stupid. And I did Pump That Face. And the rest was history. Because I, I got the energy being on the road. And I knew what I wanted to sound like. I wanted right. to do something that could be memorable, like Rocket from Herbie Hancock. Yeah. Remix DST. Yeah. And so, I mean, you, it's funny that you said it felt like a label, you know, in a college dorm. Like, did people, did you guys actually back then appreciate how organic it was? Like, you know, now you look at, like, I couldn't see somebody embracing that now because we've already we've gotten used to these big budgets and what we believe labels to be even though there's been a transition i feel like in the music industry where it's becoming much more about you know direct to consumer where you don't need the whole big machine behind you kind of thing but i, I just wonder like back then if people really understand like yo we're part of history with this thing that we're growing organically and where people are like what the hell we got to get out this dorm room no one knew it was all a guess it really was you're talking about Russell was managing some of the top acts in rap music at the time, the Houdinis, which then spawned off UTFO. He was managing um, Run DMC. You know, this, this is a huge act. He was managing Curtis Blow, who was the king of rap. Who He was dropping the break, Christmas rapping, daydreaming, you name it. And they just come off doing this movie called Crush Boots, and our manager, future manager, Charles Stepper, was managing the Bad Boys, who was on this tour. And there was Grandmaster Flash and Grandpa. So nobody thought this thing was going to amount to what it became, where Africa Bambani was in uh, Soul Sonic Force all over Europe, and they were performing. No one thought, well, this could actually happen. Right. And as it developed, that's the difference of then and now. Right. So, to me, when... We were dealing with the dorm, dorm labels or the one-offs, the next plateaus, Tommy Poise, um, the Tuck City Records and all that stuff. These were very modest, modest labels. And every record was a guess. There was no guarantee. Even UTFO. People will talk about Roxanne Chante, which I love her. But if it wasn't for Roxanne Roxanne, it was an international... Yeah. Huge hit record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do we dismiss them from the history of music? Yeah. yeah. You know, by the time Cold Killing comes around, 
and you get Big Daddy Kane, Biz Marquee, Roxanne Shante, everything was starting to form. So today, when you have no filter, and everybody just like, I went in my closet and I made a hit record, that's the difference. Yeah. So I have to say, we kind of did the same thing. I went in my basement and we came up with knowledge me. Can you feel it? Yeah. Yeah, man. I was, I was, I was listening to um back to back to uh straight to straight from the basement. That song "Run Your Mouth." It had those rock riffs in there, and I ordered, and I went right back to walk this way. I said, "Yo, this this, this sound that you captured so far back then, and just spread it out, and everyone just pecked at it like." Thanksgiving turkey the next day and made up their own sound, man. That album was done two years before it was released. Before it's sad. Wow. Because I had an issue with uh, Rick at the time, which you have to read the book and I'll explain in depth. And I'll explain about why Walk This Way was done the way it was done. Yeah, it was done. A lot of stuff came out of behaviors, a lot of stuff came from places people ignore. And don't give people credit for, which is what happens in, in any genre of music. It just does. Like, most people don't realize that Aretha Franklin didn't do respect first. She did a couple. Mm-hmm. You know, that's fact. Yeah. You know, Big Mama Thornton did Hound Dog. Right. It's a fact, you see? But when you get to the truth of how things happen, straight from the basement of Cooley High, was a two and a half year culmination and people who hear it today go well man i I didn't realize you guys did that back then we were way ahead but yet also behind in the same breath that's why people say how come knowledge wasn't on there because we did all these different songs yeah knowledge on there (laughs) i put knowledge but knowledge me and even the original can you feel i wanted to be a new thing a record guy, please buy the singles uh, and then check out the album. And if you had an opportunity to do a second album, I think it'd be through off the roof. Mm. So when you stay behind, behind in what sense? What do you what do you feel behind in what sense? When you recorded a record then, you put it out as quickly as possible. Because what you recorded is working at that moment. Mm. And the future is again remember. We're not dealing on the internet. There was, and the idea of you getting a video made was lucky, maybe. Mm. So when we did that song, and we were supposed to do a video, which I was thinking of doing, Johnny was a gangster, and um, Charlie says. But again, having issues with the label, they were like, you want to spend that kind of money? I said, no. I'm just gonna do this video. I figured Michael Jackson did it. Why can't we? They uh, <laughs> said, but you're not Michael Jackson. I said, you got that right. You would have never known that you and Ed didn't know each other before you're on TV raps. You know, who, who else was considered for the position and how'd you guys develop such good chemistry in a short period of time? Um, as I said, the late Peter Darty called me in and the late Ted Demi was good friends with Ed. And we actually just met on the audition. Ed knew about me from my college days at WBAU at the operating room. And um, we met there. We did Ted at these 
uh, dreadlock weights. We put them on. Yeah. We get a audition. Ted loved it. Portis, uh eye rubs. Peter told me, "Hey, Dre, everyone seems to love you." And I said, "Okay, we'll find out what goes on." So it was Ted Demi's idea to put us together, show a different dynamic than just Fat Five Freddy, who decided not to do the daily show. Yeah. For, for me, you guys, Fat Five Freddy, um, Downtown Drew Brown, you're representing color for the urban viewers. Do you think um, internally that MTV felt that they needed to have that kind of representation? And if so, why? Because they didn't have any uh, Crayola crayons of color happening like we were at the time. You know, gotta give it up to J.J. Johnson, who started out as a DJ on MTV, Downtown Drew Brown. Woo! That's all another story. We'll talk about another time. We can't forget Team Money, who was your mailman. We used to work with the original concept. Mm-hmm. Then Todd, Todd, late, late Todd won. Todd Brown, who was um, a PA, actually became a host of Faith the Black. Bill Bellamy came on. Yeah. You know, we got quite a few folks. Um, Benny McDonald, Martha Diaz. I mean, these have been behind the scenes. Um, Jack Benson. I mean, we had quite a few cast of folks. When Ed and I first walked into MTV, or I when I did, I remember walking in and I saw two black people. One was empty in a garbage can, the other one was pushing. And I kept looking at I mean, just anybody behind a desk, female, anybody, please. It just wasn't there. But you gotta give credit where credit's due to the group, the Fat Boys, who were really the first rap darlings on MTV at the time. Mm. Uh, congratulations, Charles Stetler and Linda West on that one. Yeah. And Run DMC, who actually had an MTV special. Run DMC, uh, live in concert. And Grandmaster Glass and Bernie Fire were on MTV. So while Michael was breaking down doors and Prince was getting people in a little red Corvette, we were just trying to figure out the best way we could. Because we weren't making videos like that back then. Because when we first started doing Yo! Today, we didn't have enough videos. So we would play Eddie Grant, James Brown, Parliament Funk, Fidelic. We were mixing everything together. Bob Marley. So we had to fill up those slots. Mm. You you had a pretty decent run with Yo! And then, you know, y'all spun off into radio a little bit. But there was a well, we had an extraordinary run. I'm going to tell you why. Not only when you saw your MTV raps from East Coast to West Coast mm-hmm. to down south to north, you got to see the same video play. That's right. There was no coastal identification on it. There was no color barrier. It was just the music, the artist, and you, the consumer. That and that was a huge blessing. It just was. We also then expanded internationally around the globe from Japan, multi-nations in the African continent, as well as Russia. Because Salt and Pepper, Dr. Dre and that mother, went to St. Petersburg, Russia to perform at the White Knights Festival before they kidnapped Britney Grinder and wouldn't let her back. <laughs> so y'all I hope she's coming back. So I hope she's still coming back. Time, time will tell. Mm-hmm. We covered the globe, whether it's Europe, 
whether it was China, yeah. whether it was Russia, whether it was Japan, Australia, South America, Canada, we just did and decided to keep us real right. to, to the audience. We didn't put on airs, we didn't act like we acted, we just were who we were. Right. And that's what the appeal was. You were the, y'all were the epitome of a household name, literally. We tried, didn't we? We did a good job, I believe. Did a great job. <laughs> Thank you. You know, and then, you know, Thank in 1993 must have been that year because you were on radio and then y'all shot Who's the Man at that same time, too. Ed and I and T-Money were on every major, major radio station in New York, except KISS FM. We were on WBLS in the beginning. Then we went to Hot 97. And then when Power 105 opened up, we were at Power 105. And LA to beat, right? And we went to LA to beat, yeah. Wow. That, was, that, that is a nice one. Our, our, our great, great successes for all of them because we, when we did something, it hadn't been done like that before. Right. And big credit goes out to Papa Lopez. And the late great Steve Smith, who just passed away, who gave us those opportunities. And if it wasn't for our manager and our desire and our instincts and our love of the music, the culture, and being fans, we wouldn't have survived where we did. That was our blessing. Man, I remember going to um, going to school in the morning with my Walkman on and listening to the roll call. Yeah. Before I went into the building, I had to hear the roll call. Yep, big up to Lisa G, Wayne Mayo, Al Barry, Kurt Flirt, uh, Peter James, and so many folks that have contributed to us making that show the dynamic thing that it was. You're talking about that show beat Howard Stern in the radio at his peak. Mm, damn. And Howard Stern was on your TV rap with us too. Mm. I'm, I'm going to throw out, I'm going to throw out a couple of names play a word association game with you and I want you to tell me what comes to mind for each one. Um, so the first I'm going to start with Hot Tracks. Monkey Box. No. Um, <laughs> the great Carlos De Jesus. <laughs> the great Carlos De Jesus, which yeah. made us all run to TV and go, oh my God, that's new edition? Oh my God, that, what's the sugar game? Oh my God. Yeah. And all those artists that wasn't pigeonholed into one direction or another, but that was a local video show that blew up before there was the Wheel of Fortune and before there was Jeopardy at 7 o'clock. There was Carlos Danzuski and New York Contracts. Contracts. Video Music Box. He said the great Robert Daniels and um, the big kid, Lionel Martin. Mm. Big fans. Always big fans. Except for messing with that little antenna in the back of my TV. UHF Channel 31. Uh, Rap City. Rap City came after your own TV raps. And I never understood BT not embracing rap music. It was really just Donnie Simpson for the longest. And when Rap City came around, with Ed and I, we were always hey, good luck, come on. We knew we weren't going to be the only ones. Maybe, maybe Rhapsody couldn't find somebody with light brown eyes to host it like Donnie Simpson. Look, we didn't make that decision. That was uh, Mr. Johnson and company. Uh, all right, um, pump it up. Dee Barnes, my girl, 
we even managed to burn with body and soul uh, for a company Black Steel uh, Management. We burned as my brother. And then finally, through the incident, even through the incident, which is in my book, mm. pick up the D Barnes and Rose all the time, pick up Jeff, Jeff, Tone Low, and the Richard Vinyl folks, yeah. And of course, the one, the only, was the move, the Young MC. Mm. Yeah. Isn't it funny how everybody thought Young MC corny, but he makes a lot of money <laughs> right now for this day, still both to the move. Yeah, yeah, hit record. Right. And I would have both in the movie. Two in Funky Cole Medina. Those are big records. Yeah. Big, super big records. Well, Funky Cole Medina was, yeah, Tone Loke was wild thing. And that made him an international superstar. Right. So what was the what was the justification that they gave you guys for the cancellation of Yo? They never did. Yeah, well, here's, here's, the, here's the excuse. Well, we play rap music in, in, in the main format now. And people really don't watch the show for you guys. They want to see the video. They went to Hot 97 and tried out Mount Flex, Angie Martinez, uh, Wendy Williams, and no one got, got an audience like you did. You can't replace Don Cornelius on Soul Train. You can't replace Dick Clark on American Bandstand. And you can't replace Fab Five Dr. Drake, and Lover. I I mean actually people I think people only watch the show for you guys because at that point, you know, it it was easier to see videos other places. It's I kinda liken it to like what um radio is now, like mainstream radio. Honestly, when mainstream radio's on, I listen more so for the talk format than I do for the music because it's the same music that's in rotation on almost every station. So I don't know the personality. Mm-hmm. Same thing happened in 97. Everybody who rises thinks they know best, but they have no clue what they're doing. And then when you decide to break up the dynamic duo, it falls on you. Who's who? Those on those who make those executive decisions. Who was program director at High 97 at that time? Tracy? Yes, she was. Yeah, I, I, we, we've heard stories about um, Tracy. <laughs> yeah, and that's one of my ones in my book that I tell. So you gotta get that book, so you gotta get that book in black. Yeah, so, and you know what? I hold no animosity to people who do their job, but let this be speak. And that's why I'm writing what I'm writing, doing what I'm doing, and let, 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 let that speak for itself. Mm. I, I want to change the course a little bit, man, uh, and, and, and talk about health. And I'll start with myself. I'm a two-time kidney transplant recipient. And Ooh, feel great. That, I feel great. I gotta say congratulations because you're here with us. Yeah, and, 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 the, and, the, and the, the most magnificent thing about that, thank you, bro, was I got two kidneys in a span of 13 years. Most people don't. Most people don't get one kidney. Absolutely. Ever. ever. And I, I love listening to you talk about optimism and powerful thinking and also highlight your spiritual journey that you're on right now that keeps you positive dealing with what you're dealing with. Diabetes. Okay. For me to keep it very simple, I consider myself super bad. I'm a blind amputee and a type 2 diabetic. And the only thing that's going to stop me is when the creator and the master planner says, okay, come on, I got more for you to do. But you're not putting some wings on your back. And you should do what you gotta do. 
There's nothing that will stop me. There's no human being that will walk this earth that will slow me down. And the giving that I wish to do and the ability to give and pass along the blessings of health, wellness, dealing with people who are homeless, dealing with veterans who go and fight our wars, go out there and put their bodies up. And when they come back here, you treat them like they're not even human beings. So my whole optimism is to change that projection. Right. So that's why I consider myself super BAD, super bad. So I work with my Dr. Dre's Victory Foundation as we are collaborating and creating alliances with bigger organizations and foundations. And not we shall overcome. We will be. We will. That's right. We will show you that our major goal is to create greatest accessibility to people with disabilities and special needs. Mm. So if people have, as they always say now, oh, well, you know, we got to get better mental uh, uh, awareness and mental health. Yeah, well, let's just do it. Stop talking. Wow. Let's help people with children and girls with autism. Let's help veterans. Let's help amputees. Let's help blind people. Not to just say, oh, well, you know, they got to try this. The technology exists. The efforts are out there. I'm here to try to bring them folks together right. the same way we did with Gil and TV Raps. So Dr. Dre's Victory Foundation is about me being super B-A-D. I'm not old. This is super bad. Watch this. Uh, and you know what? And that's the that's the perfect spirit to have when you wanna you wanna make something happen. I've even heard you say you reverse diabetes. How did that work? I cut out all the crap and understood what to actually ingest. And the the ultimate reversal. And it's it's a daily grind. But let me be honest with you. I spoke to a couple of doctors of mine, and he said, "Look, man, you're gonna cheat. You're gonna cheat." Right. But whenever you cheat, go back and get on the path. Right. Just get on the path. Because your body will start to change and will accept certain things. And your body will start rejecting the things that it doesn't need. Because that's a whole other thing as we walk down. And I guess that'll be part three. When we get to the health, wellness, exercise, and the love of oneself. Which is the greatest healer. I can't wait. Everything is loving one's See, I'm, people say I'm not, I'll say I'm an advocate. I like to fight. I like to fight good fight. I don't appreciate what they're doing to our women. By you removing the rights mm. of women to make their own choices. Right. Now, I don't care if you're pro-life, pro-choice, pro, pro-biotic, pro-anthropic. I don't give a damn. <laughs> but you do not remove the rights for people. That have been here for 50 years. This is why I tell people we got to come together. All of us. Stop the color barrier. Stop the culture whining. Stop the difference of language. And say, screw this. We have to remove these crazy white men, some white women, from power. And the only way we can do that is with the vote. Stop blaming Biden. Stop blaming Paris. They're limited in what they can do. Give them the ammunition. As well as you go find money and you put ammunition in your gun to protect yourself, what do you think he needs? He's not an absolute ruler. Mm. President with rules. 
So if you're just, if you're, I ain't gonna do this. I'm saying everybody, 18 to 80, blind people are crazy. The midterm election is about our destiny. Because mm -hmm. they've already proved in the Supreme Court when they lied and put those three Supreme Court justices, I'm being nice, in power. You see what happens? Yeah. You know, Clarence Thomas, that faker. <laughs> I know you won't call him something else. Don't even worry no, about No, no, that faker. I'm going to call him what he is. <laughs> see, that's who I worry about. I don't worry about the white people. I worry about Uncle, Uncle Clarence Thomas. Right, Uncle. Let me, I worry about them folks. Let me look at a whole bunch of them folks. Let me, out there. Oh, why are you always trying to be a victim? I'm not trying to be no victim. We didn't come here on the boat. boat. This came here on the slave boat. Right, right. Get it right. Right, that's right. Get it right. right. All people are right. right. All people of all nationalities. All people of cultures. That's why hip hop culture exploded the way it did. It got tired of playing the old rock and roll rules. Yeah. The rock and roll. Said, you got to bow down a little bit. This, this movement's too strong. Yeah. It's too strong. The reason the reason why I like the stuff without Chuck Berry, Chuck Berry is the true king of rock and roll. Rock and roll. It's Little that. Richard, true king of rock and roll. Mm. Come on. Yeah. We, we, we try to dismiss our history and just go, well, what about last week? No. No. There were rappers before there was MC Light. There was Ella Fitzgerald. There was Cal Callaway before there was Jay-Z. Right. There was Dick Gregory before there was Richard Pryor. Yeah. There was Lou Costello and Danny Kay before there was Vanilla Ice. They used to rhyme. They called it something, they called it scatting, jazz talking. It was there, they did it. Don't dismiss it. Hold up, what we mean them white people in the straight? This is why they're problem. Stop doing that. That's what they did. Right. The only way we're going to be strong is if we all get along. And I don't mean everybody has to agree. I mean, let's take the power. Right. The only way we can do that is through the vote and the constant pressure. Because you already seen 45 commit a coup on our nation. And his followers are still saying, nope, they stole the election. They stole the election. The only thing you stole that's been stolen is the lives of African slaves. Those are the things you stole. The culture of African nations, all distributed through Europe, all distributed through the United States, in museums. Don't tell about what was stolen. Yeah. 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 Crucifixion ain't no fiction. So-called chosen frozen. Apologies made to whoever it pleases. So you got me like Jesus. Mm. Talk that I shit. move as Talk a team. I don't move alone. 
There you go. Welcome to the tower jumper. Welcome to the tower jumper. Yeah. Man, gas shot. No, no, no. I was going to say, the re- I think the reason I was listening to you talk about, like, the stuff with, um, with Biden, you know, and uh, with Trump, I think the reason why people are down on Biden, condemning Biden, um, is because they went from, we went from a person who moved them, it's like they had absolute power and was doing whatever they wanted, to now a person that's attempting to try to govern the way the Constitution was supposed to meant to be, you know, like I, I have my criticisms on both of them. Um, I think Biden could repair everything once he cut a couple of stimulus checks, people will forget about Trump. Um, but I, I think that's a conversation, a larger conversation. We only got a couple of minutes left. We love Let me keep it real simple, real quick. Mm-hmm. Learn from the mistakes of the Obamas. Learn from the mistakes. It wasn't Obama's fault, but we didn't give him what he needed. Again, you can't go fight a war with an empty gun. Mm-hmm. So don't hand Biden a um, slingshot and he's going up against tanks. Mm. It's not a good look. We have to get behind and then stay engaged. Period. Right, right. It's our choice. Stay consistent. That's right. Yeah. You can't. Oh, well, you can do this. And, and Trump got away with this. So, Trump got away with murdering himself. We should do the same. That's going to solve our problems in the streets. Right. We know who. We know where these kids are getting these guns. When 13 year olds are gunning each other down and killing 11 year old girls, going to get their nails done, we've cool. got problems. Don't blame Biden for that. Yeah. We don't do it. No, that's a fact. Well, we're headed for self-destruction. We're headed for self-destruction. I'm not. <laughs> I walk with love. I got the greatest weapon on this planet. L-O-V-E. One love. One love. The love you just have. One love. Dre, we gotta we gotta wrap because we're gonna get cut off. But we'd love to have you back for um for part two when you get a free moment. Tell us when are we um when are we gonna get the book? I'll let you know. But right now, if you need to reach me, reach me on Instagram, reach me on Twitter at D O C T O R D R E number three nine Instagram or Twitter. Not hard to figure out. Don't put D R D R E in there. Right. Hit me. D O C T O R D R E. You got me. Number three now. You got me. I'm not hard to find. We'll come back as we drop the books on you. And guess what? I got more to learn. I have more to say. I got right. number love. Number love. Appreciate you. Ladies and gentlemen